Hello, and welcome to the No Longer Be Children podcast. I'm your host, Josiah Meyer, and we are in pursuit of a mature and stable Christian worldview. And I thought it'd be interesting to do an update because I've kind of kept you all in the dark as far as what is going on with me. And uh, this has been and partially by design. Um, the reality is, as a missionary, um, as somebody who lives on support, if you don't know what that is, that means that basically people pledge to um, to give me money so that I can continue living and doing doing nonprofit work. Um, that's what support means. So I lived that way for seven years, and um, it was a different kind of life. Um, it has its pros, it has its cons. One of the cons is that you have to be kind of careful what you share with the world. Um, and um, so that, you know, I did want to keep people updated, but um, there was a limit to how much I could keep people updated because um, the other, I said it was partially by design and partially not by design. What did I say? It sounds so good. Um, anyways, uh, partially I just didn't know what in the world I was doing, so it was hard to give people an update. Um, the last year and a half has felt like, um, like I haven't really known what I was doing. <laughs> I, guess, I guess that's as profound as it gets at uh, five in the morning. But it is 2020. This is the year of seeing clearly, as my optometrist said back in well, actually they said that in 2019, that 2020 was a year of seeing clearly, so maybe they were prophetic. Um, we're seeing a lot of things clearly so far this year. And um, through, well, one thing that's becoming more and more clear is I'm understanding the interesting path that God brought us to to lead us to this place where we're at right now which currently makes an awful lot of sense, um, but at the time did not make a lot of sense. And um, so an update should be kind of about where I've been, where I am, and where I'm going. I'm not sure how far we'll we'll get, but we'll talk a bit about where I've been. Uh, I mentioned I was on support and been a campus pastor out in Quebec, Canada at a very large university, we were the only Christian, um, well, basically the only Christian, um, you know, campus voice or whatever, and did Bible studies on campus and, and also did outreach in the community and things like that. Very interesting ministry. Um, learned the French language to do it. My wife is French-Canadian. Um, so that's what we've been doing. Before that, we were in Africa, um, but for the last four years, we were out there. And uh, 2018 was this tremendous year of, uh, I turned 35, and it was like, what am I going to do with my life, you know? Um, I feel like I'm just coasting. I feel like there's a lot of things that I'm like, oh yeah, when I'm older, when I'm older, I'll do that. And it's kind of like, you're getting pretty old. Um, when are you going to do these things? And uh, so one of the things was, I said, I'm going to lose weight because I've always had like 40 pounds I didn't need. And so I buckled down and I lost 50 pounds in six months and I've kept it off uh, since then. I've gained back uh, about 10 pounds, but the doctor says that's healthy. I'm still in kind of the target weight for my my height and age. Um Actually, the doctor said that was very encouraging that I had, you know, lost a lot of weight, but then I gained a bit back and then I've leveled out. So that's, you know, that's good. That's how it should be. Um, so that happened. Um, and I talked about that in the previous podcast. And uh, then 2019, uh, I ran a marathon. So I trained for a marathon and did quite well. Um, I mean, considering it was my first half marathon, I did quite well. Um, and that was a whole different thing. And now running is kind of part of who I am. Like I, this is weird to say, but I consider myself an athlete. Um, like I broke my toe, my baby toe, uh, six weeks ago. 
And like it was catastrophic for me because I couldn't run. And it just like, um, when I was training, like my knees would hurt because I was training so much that the ligaments were like, wow, give us a break. And uh, so like I, you know, iced them and did all these things. And, and like I bought special shoes and I bought the pants and I bought, you know, different paraphernalia for running. And I'm really into it. And it's not just a fad. It's like, this is who I am. And running has become part of like how I think and how I deal with stress and everything like that. So um, big things have changed in that way. It's like, you know, on to the next season of life. Like, who am I really going to be? Who am I as an adult? Um, I'm 185 pounds. I'm not 225 pounds. That's who I am as an adult. That's one thing. I'm an athlete. I run. That's another thing. Um, another thing was, um, what are we going to do career-wise, ministry-wise? Uh, and, you know, the truth of the matter is that we joined missions to go to Africa. That did not work out. And so we tried to find something else to fit. And the reality is, we found something that kind of worked. But it never really fit like Africa was supposed to. And at a certain point, we started saying, you know, in 2018 it was, and, and 2019, it was kind of like, what are we really doing? Like, what am I doing? Like, is this my passion? Or am I just trying to hold on to a dream when it didn't work out? Um, and so in towards the end of 2018, I started applying to Bible schools as a Bible school teacher because this has always been the dream, was to get a master's in theology, eventually a doctorate in theology, and then teach in a Bible school because I really like God. I really like ideas. The two seem to go together. And so um, so I spent most of, um, well, I spent about, you know, from November 2019 or 2018, to like mid-summer 2019 working on applications for Bible schools and uh, one was very very promising uh, a lot I could figure out pretty quickly we're not going to fit and then we went back and forth back and forth with the one school that really seemed like they wanted me and then they decided that they were going to go because um, they were kind of on the fence on several issues and then they decided that the school was going to become explicitly sex date. <laughs> explicitly six-day creationist um, and that's not something that I am I really like to lay out the options and be like okay guys there and I have a, a podcast on that on on this podcast channel um, Christians land at four different positions there's six-day creationism there's old earth creationism there's evolutionary creationism one and evolutionary creationism two that's, like that's my terminology um, so make up your choice you know and and then let's move on because that's not the central issue the central issue is jesus and the central issue is how you're going to live your life um but these are four options they're all rational they're all reasonable they're all good options um i pretty much land on old earth creationism personally um but i'm i'm very open-minded to the other the other ones the one that i Well, I think I'm equally open-minded to old earth creationism or to um, six-day creationism and evolutionary creationism. Neither of them completely seem plausible to me, which is why I don't subscribe to them. But I completely understand why people are there. Uh, and um, yeah, I respect them. Uh, but the school was like, I mean, the conversation I had uh, which was quite disappointing, was uh, if you don't, if a person, you know, it was kind of said in the third person, but you understand what people are, what people mean. Um, if a person doesn't believe in six-day creationism, then pretty soon they're going to start doubting um, all the words of scriptures, and then they're going to start doubting the words of Jesus, and then they're going to, you know, doubt their entire salvation. Basically, making the case that if you don't believe in six-day creationism, you're not really a Christian anymore. 
um, which is the sort of thing you hear in internet debates sometimes. Um, but you kind of want to believe that this isn't something that it's disappointing, you know, um, because the reality is that the majority of Christians today, um, well, I'm not in a position to say what the majority is, but there's a lot of Christians that have sophisticated views on this issue, uh, and they're wonderful people. And um, it's just sad when when people are so prepared to say, all those people over there, those like 250 million Christians over there, and those like untold millions over there, they're not real Christians. Uh, only we are real Christians right here. This this thousand people right here, yeah, we're the real ones. It's disappointing. Um, and it was also disappointing because it was like, well, that's not a school that um, that I'm going to be able to teach at in the near future. And um, increasingly realizing through the process of applying, you know, being a Bible school teacher is a difficult field to get into. There's a lot of people that are like me that are like, hey, I love God. I love ideas. I love books. I want to be a Bible school teacher. It's a very, very crowded field. Um, there's a lot of people that are better at it than I am. Uh, one of the ways to really distinguish yourself is to write textbooks. Um, and I don't really like... I've never been an A-plus student. I've always, people are surprised when I tell them that. Um, like fe fellow classmates, too. Like They're like, well, I thought you were an A-plus. I was like, no, I'm a B-plus. B on a bad day. You know, like I like knowing ideas enough to be able to teach them and to like because when I can teach them then I really understand the concept but the thing is is once I understand the concept I'm bored of it and I want to move on so like the A plus students tend to be the kind of the more boring ones they get I'm boring I'm calling myself interesting here um well I am kind of interesting the A-plus students are the ones that want to obsess about one topic for the rest of their lives. And so all they talk about for the rest of their lives is eschatology, which means the study of end times. That's all they talk about. So they become the experts. So they write a textbook. So they teach a class on it. So they become indispensable for the school because they're the expert on that one topic. And I'm kind of like, I'm really, really interested in everything. And as soon as I figure something out and I create some material on it, I'm like, okay, I'm done. Now I want to go on to something completely different. So, um, well, that's part of why I wanted to teach in a smaller Bible school because everybody's kind of a generalist and has to teach everything. So, um, but where I was going with that is there, I have to be honest and say there's always going to be somebody that's better than me. It is a crowded field and it is a shrinking field. Um, more and more schools are going online. Um, and this is something I experienced back in like 2011 was that my flesh and blood school, my bricks and mortar school was one thing, but then I'd come home, pay the bills by driving a gar garbage truck and I would listen to hours and hours and hours of podcasts. And it got to the point where I, my beliefs were formed online with my own research and my teachers were like, well, you're wrong. And I'm like, no, this is what I believe. And it, it created a lot of tension because usually you're studying at a school, you kind of learn their way of doing things. And it was like, well, I'm learning a lot. I'm being formed a lot more by what I'm learning online than what I'm learning here. And uh, anyways, um, schools are, Bible schools that aren't making the transition to online are going to have a very, very difficult time. And this pandemic, I think, uh, has made the issue crucial. Um, if there's anybody running a small Bible school or involved in a small Bible school listening to this, I'd just say, get online today or I'm not sure you're going to make it the rest of the year because things are changing rapidly. Things will not go back to how they were before. And one of the things that's going to change is that Bible schools are going to be online and the technology is there. Facebook Live is there. Um, you can do a podcast. You can, you can, there's services where you can do the whole thing online. Uh, there's iTunes U. 
look into it, figure it out. Um, I think there is a hunger for <clears throat> smaller Bible schools being online. But certainly the bigger Bible schools will always have an advantage just because they have more tech and they have more certified professors and everything like that. Um, but I would encourage any small Bible schools, get online. I want to encourage all pastors, get online. Figure out Facebook Live. It's time. Today is the day to figure out Facebook Live and get your stuff online. Uh, anyways, but you know, last year it's becoming increasingly apparent that it's a small field. It's a shrinking field. Um, it's a field where there's always going to be more people more qualified at it than I am. And um, when this last Bible school didn't work out, it became apparent that it's really hard to find a good fit because the kind of the idea of a, a Christian Bible school, well, you have kind of two types. You have some that are just kind of liberal arts schools, and those are the ones that are frustrating that can be frustrating because Christian parents send their kids to school or Christian kids go to school because they're like, I, I love God, I want to learn more. And they get in and it's kind of like, well, Christianity is one religion among many, so let's study anthropology and figure out what creates the religious impulse in humans and then we'll look at Christianity. And by the time you're done your psych one class, you don't believe that there is a God anymore. You think that when people have religious thoughts, it's just some chemical bubbling in the brain and so there you know there's that kind of school the kind of liberal arts schools and I could tell pretty quickly like I don't think this is going to work out um I'm too um I'm too hardcore about my faith is that a fair way to say it I want to say too too fundamentalist but that's kind of a loaded term but like I actually believe that Jesus is God and you know, there's only one way to salvation and there's only two genders and, you know, hell is real and things like that. The Bible's inerrant and, and so that wouldn't really fit in some of these liberal schools. But when you get to the conservative schools, um, it's kind of like, like, here's our beliefs, you know, and, and they want to teach their brand of their beliefs to their students. And they want to teach critical thought and open-mindedness, and they do. Um, to some extent, uh, and I believe in these schools, it's just that you kind of have to match up your beliefs to the school. But I'm somebody that has challenged and thought through just about every single one of my beliefs. Um, and so I don't fit anywhere. Um, it'd be great to be a Baptist and just, well, you know, have Baptist beliefs and you go teach at a Baptist school or I'm a Mennonite. I have Mennonite beliefs. I go teach at a Mennonite school. Um, I just don't fit anywhere. Uh, I have my own beliefs. And they're not crazy. They're not out, out there, I don't think. I mean, if I work with Mennonites and Pentecostals and Baptists and Catholics and um, have good conversations with Orthodox and, and, oh, and, you know, attended an Anglican church for a long time. And nobody thought I was weird. Uh, I didn't think they were weird. We could get along. But when you're going to teach, it's like, well, you, you kind of have to agree with all the specifics of how our school does things. It's just really hard to find that fit. Um, and so it kind of, and then we want to stay in Canada. We're not interested in going to the States, especially. There's a lot more Bible schools in the States. Um, but yeah, it was kind of like, you know what? I'm not sure that this is the career path for for my life I've and that's frustrating a little bit because we've sunk a lot of energy into it um as far as you know taking a lot of schooling and putting our life on hold for a long time um but I don't know maybe maybe the schooling will be useful for other things um anyways so it's kind of like well that's interesting um always thought that's where my life would end up and now it's not and huh, I say that's interesting. It was a hard realization. Um, and uh, so we're kind of like, what What are we going to do now? And so the next logical step was, why don't we look into pastoring? Um, and so we, we sent out some resumes. And within a week, we had some great options. We had people 
one church especially that really was interested in us and wanted to do an interview. Um, but then we started talking more about it. And, you know, the church was like perfect. It's exactly what I would have wanted. They were a larger church. Um, it was a Mennonite church, um, which fits with how I, I was raised, at least my teenage years and the faith that I have chosen. Uh, and then they went through it like, well, they had a long-term pastor, which is always a good thing when you have lots of long-term pastors. It means that the church isn't, isn't chewing them up and spitting them out. Um, but the pastor was kind of getting to the end of his ability to pastor. And then there was this big blow up about, um, gender and, um, and, you know, homosexuality and stuff like that. And a bunch of people left. But the core people that are still in the church are like, they regrouped, they got an interim pastor, and they spent a lot of time soul searching and figuring out who they were as a church. And now they have this huge building in an excellent location, and they have a passionate group of people that are like, give us a pastor, we're going to run with this, we know who we are, we know where, what we want to do, we just need a pastor. And it was like, wow, I could be that, I could... And they were interested in me. I, I mean, I have no idea whether I would have got the job, but they were interested in me. I was interested in them. Let's go. But then it was like, well, hold on a second. I'm tired. Like, I'm really tired. I'm kind of getting cynical a little bit about life and about, especially the religious life. Like, it just, hmm. Is this the time for me to jump in and really run? Like, run with a church, you know? Um, in ministry, well, in any job, there's a time when you really have to run, you know, like September, October in the campus ministry was just like, it's go time, you know, and there's less time for the family and you kind of make up for it in the summer and you make up for it, you know, around Christmas time, you know, all the students are gone and, but there's, there's go times. And it's, it seemed like the first year or two in that, in that church would be a go time and it would kind of be like, We'll make up for it in the in a few years, but right now we just really have to go. And it didn't seem like the best thing for our family. It didn't seem like the best thing for me to give the church somebody that's tired. And so we turned that down. Uh, well, I mean, we said, you know, maybe if you have other applicants, and they did have other applicants, we said, you're, you're probably going to be better off finding somebody else that's not tired. And... Um, but we're at this point where it's like, you know, I think we were on to something in saying that we're not in our passion zone. So what next? And um, we had always said that um, when we weren't doing ministry anymore, if we weren't doing ministry anymore, we would settle in Quebec. We had bought a house. We had a place in the country. It was beautiful. We had friends, we had a wonderful church, family. But it wasn't feeling right for some reason. One thing that was a factor was, um, well, one, one factor is that you can judge us all you want. Um, I'm going to be saying that a lot these days because <laughs> it feels so good. Um, <clears throat> think of me what you want. Um, it doesn't matter in the same way anymore because I'm not on support. Um, but we, yeah, it was, it's unfortunate, but we never got our, we never succeeded in teaching our kids French. We tried, um, but, uh, the bottom line always ended up that our kids were going through so much, um, transition and stress that, uh, we didn't feel it was the right time. We never felt like it was the right time to subject them to the trauma of learning, learning another language. And, um, it, you know, if you start from birth, one pa parent speaks English, one parent speaks French, it's not traumatic because that's all that they know. It does slow them down in their studies a little bit, at least at first, at least most people. Um, you know, the brain can only handle so much. So if you're subjecting it to that, there's other things that might slip a little bit. Um, but when they get older and all of a sudden they can't communicate with one parent, because that parent is only speaking one language to them for the next six months until they understand. Or you throw them into a school where they don't understand anything and they, oh yeah, well, they'll, they'll, 
by Christmas time, they'll be speaking it. Yeah, but what about until then? You know, and we, we always felt like, you know, we know our kids and it was just never the right time. And in, and then it got to the point where it's like, well, I don't think it's ever going to happen realistically. And so then the kids are in a province where they can't speak the language. And, uh, you know, judge us as you will. Many people have judged us on that. Um, but uh, I stand by my decision. Um, emotional health is tremendously important. And um, a secondary language is nice. But what really matters is giving our kids a childhood that is going to provide the foundation for the next 70 years of their life. And I think that we've done a good job of that. The best job that we could have under the circumstances. And not shoving another language down their throat was part of that. So those are the decisions we made. But part of the... Part of the logical consequences of that was that... um, we had to consider that there wasn't much future in a French-speaking province for our kids. And uh, also, um, the French government uh, in Quebec kind of went through this phase, and this is hard to explain to Americans, but I'll try. Um, So the French were conquered back, like, uh, well, before the United States became the United States, actually. And, uh, but there were so many of them already living in the eastern part of Canada that England said, well, you can stay there. We're not going to try and, and move you, uh, but now you're English citizens. And the French were never really happy with that, and the English were never really happy with that. Um, but th- how things all shook out is, well, this is Canada, and, but one of our provinces is kind of speaks a different language, and they kind of follow different rules. Uh, They follow the Napoleonic Code as the the basis of their law. The rest of Canada follows English common law. The United States follows English common law. So, like, they're kind of this weird thing. Um, I mean, weird. Weird is the wrong word. I mean, it's a beautiful culture. It's beautiful people. It's it's different. It's like, if you want to go to Europe, but you don't have the money, go to Quebec. It's like Europe. Uh, The way they think is like Europe. A lot of the architecture is very uh, old style, um, like from France. Um, so, so it's a cool place. It's been a cool place to work, and you know, it's been it's been like having a very international experience. The problem is, um, Quebec is a province that has mood swings, and uh, you know, not that long ago, about fifteen years ago. Um, they had a mood swing where they're like, we don't want to be part of Canada anymore. Let's separate. Uh, it was more than f- 15 years. Um, it's the 90s. Whew, time flies. Anyways, um, that didn't work out. And then they had a mood swing back to like, you know what, never mind. Uh, we like Canada. And, you know, along with that was kind of more tolerant towards the English that are within the province. Um, because when it was the mood swing of like, no, Quebec is for French Canadians only, it became very difficult for the English people living in Canada. And there were there have been English people that have been in, in Quebec just as long as the French people um, in some pockets. Anyways, um, in 2019, they voted in the CAQ, which is the Coalition for the Future of Quebec, always a little bit scary when a political party is talking about being the future uh, because it sounds a little bit utopian and if you go back and listen to my podcast on uh, on Marxism it's always a little bit worrisome when a party is utopian because there is no utopia on earth and this party is a little bit scary they've outlawed uh, all religious dress you can't wear a crucifix you can't wear a hijab you can't wear anything if you're going to give or receive government services and then the next thing in the crosshairs was homeschooling because they're all about um, you got to do things our way uh, there is one province there's one government you do things our way or else and it was a little bit hard to explain to people partially because I was you know a missionary and it's a little 
a little bit hard to know how to communicate with people sometimes. Um, but also it's hard to explain how it felt when you were in it. It was a little bit like, you know, like when there's somebody in your company that can't be fired, maybe a tenured professor or something, but the administration really, really wants him gone. And so they give him like, he's a, he's a chemistry teacher and they assign him to teach math. And then they're like, your hallway is now right here. Where? Right here. Where? What? This is the hallway. Exactly. Your office is now the hallway. And like, keep doing stupid things to the person until they're like, okay, fine, I quit. Oh, you quit. There you go. You get no pension. That's kind of how it felt in Quebec this past year or, or 2019 was like, wow. Well, 2018 and 19, uh... It just, like, you guys really, really want to make homeschooling illegal. Uh, And you're just doing more and more and more ridiculous things. You know, I started off, you got to register the kids. Now the government knows who we are, where we are. And, okay, fine. Now they want to know what we're doing. Okay. All right, well, we can tell you what we're doing. All right, now we're telling you that what you're doing is not enough. You need to do it our way. Oh, well, okay. Well, these are our kids. We'd like to teach them how we want to. Yes, but you need to take our test. Okay, we, we can take your test, I guess. Do we get study notes? No, you don't get study notes. Okay, so where do we take this test? Oh, it's going to take te- take place over a month of time uh, at our schools. But the schools won't know that you're coming or have any special preparation. It's just that we take our tests over the course of about a month. And it happens that like an hour throughout the day, they'll take another part of the test, the standardized test that they do at the end of the year. It's like, how are we supposed to do this? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Um, anyways, and it just got more and more ramped up and ridiculous. And it's like, it's not that we're militantly homeschoolish, but it was like, I don't not real thrilled about where this government is heading and just over the border is the rest of Canada and um, it feels less totalitarian and it feels more like we would have freedom to do what we want to do in the way that we want to do it and so uh, we had a lot of things that were changing a lot of things that were um, becoming more clear to us um But the future was very, very unclear, um, as little as eight months ago. Well, it's still very unclear. Like, I I have no idea what I'm doing, what I will be doing in one year. Um, Well, I'll probably be doing the same thing I'm doing now. But I'm not living in the future anymore. I'm just living day to day. And um, we've just made a lot of, I'm going to say, very gutsy decisions. and we made them without really knowing what the future was or having a plan. But just having this deep sense of this is the next thing. Um, walking by faith, not by sight, has never been more true. And, um, you know, I, I think I want to talk about this soon. Um, listening to our gut, following our gut. Um I've done a lot of counseling where we've kind of gone deep into like the psyche and like deep into our imagination and deep into our minds and rediscovered, hey, I have a body. I have, um, and my body has an opinion and there's like a subconscious part of me that wants to speak and wants to be heard. And that's different than listening to the voice of God because I have listen to the voice of God. I think I do hear God's spirit speaking to me. I'm very careful when I say something like God says, um, because that's always something that you want to test against scriptures. But there is such a thing as the Holy Spirit speaking directly to somebody. But that's different than the gut speaking. It can seem similar, uh, because they're both kind of this still small voice that you need to calm yourself down to listen to. And um, it's hard to say whether we've been following our gut or following the Holy Spirit in this time. And I think we've kind of been following both. And it seems as though, it's not always the case, but it's often the case that those two are on the same team. 
And it's us in our like prefrontal cortex, us in our rational mind, us trying to figure things out with our brains, like with our, what we would typically say is our head and not our heart. You know, we try and figure out life with our head when we need to listen more to our heart. And God is often in our hearts and God, or God is often on the same side as like our hearts, as our emotional side. That's going to make a lot more sense when I do a podcast on the head and the heart. Um, but basically we've just kind of been doing the next thing and doing things that my wife and I have both been like, this is the right thing to do. And like the entire rest of the world has been like, what are you doing? And we've been like, this is the right thing to do. And they've been like, okay, but this, like, what's your reason for this? And we've been like, we don't really have a reason. It's just the right thing to do it. Just the right time to do it. So we sold our house. We had a dream house in the country that we fixed up and it was absolutely gorgeous. And we had two acres of property and it was a kind of becoming a little bit of not a retreat center, but a place that people would come uh, for Bible studies and for a getaway. And um, we'd host the scouts group and we'd host the church. And, and it was kind of a place just at the edge of town where it was just this phenomenal place. So we sold that last summer and we told our supporters that uh, there was a change coming. We were a little bit nebulous on it um, and that was because our mission told us um, don't tell your supporters that you don't need support and tell you don't need support because in their experience as soon as you say um, hey guys we're, we're going to end ministry in one year people are like oh I read the first word of the newsletter and we'll end support. That's what they, that's what they told us and that's what they advised us is let people know that a change is coming but don't tell them that um, you're going to be ending this until it's done. So that's what we did. Um, it's been part of this life, you know. I, I it's it's interesting living on support and having that pressure of of um, of communicating to uh, 500 people about your life all the time. It's been interesting. Um, so we let people know we're changing. We're selling our house. We're leaving Quebec. And uh, we took the uh, money that we had left uh, because we, we developed a, a buffer account because our support has been up and down, up and down for the last years. So we worked hard to get a buffer account where um, so that if the support is down, we can still get paid. The thing with being on support is you can do anything you want. Uh, you just have to raise the funds for it. And having a buffer account is crucial because that's your security. Um, and uh, we took that security and said, let's get healthy. And so we paid for a one-month retreat um, at a place where that specializes in caring for missionaries and pastors. It's called Alongside. It's a great place. And um, we really, really, really learned a lot about ourselves and found a lot of healing. Um, our kids learned a ton. It was That was really surprising. They have this amazing kids ministry. And, like, we try and talk now to our kids sensitively about, like, well, you know, like there's this issue or that issue and they're like oh yeah well that's this and this and this and we learned it and we have this little game that goes along with it and we're like wow so that's been really cool um it started me on a path of realizing that uh well what we knew was that a lot of our pain comes from ministry uh we knew that i'm going to talk probably about that in the future um but not everybody finds ministry painful and the reason that i find it painful gets back to my childhood and gets back to things that weren't right there and that's been the interesting thing is realizing oh these this goes back deep and then when you find healing for things back there oh now that changes how I see God that changes how I'm going to do ministry that changes how I do the rest of my life and so that's been really the journey we've been on I had a sermon on that um, about three sermons ago about um, what was it called well, it was the farewell to Quebec sermon because then we came back from alongside and then we had a very tearful goodbye. I mean, it was hard to say goodbye to people. And a few people had us out for lunch and, and, uh, or for supper and said goodbye. And it was just like, man, like such good people. Just uh, hurts. It still hurts 
some of the people that we left behind. But it was the right thing to do. It was the right time to do it. And we came to our hometown with no job. Um, our supporters kind of were guessing that we were done because we had said we're done with this. And we said we want to take a sabbatical. What does that mean? Well, we were very ambiguous about it because our mission told us to be ambiguous about it. Um, but after about a week, then I started applying for jobs. And then uh, after, um, I guess it took me about two months and I got a good job. I'm working at a cement factory and uh, I'm the driver and uh, I also am being trained to run the factory, the plant. And um, yeah, it's a great job back in my hometown. Um, we were renting for a while and then we decided, no, this is going to be a little bit longer than a few months. We didn't really know when we got here, but it's like, no, I think God has us here for a while. I'm continuing to see a lot of counselors. I'm continuing to journal a lot um, about healing and figuring myself out. Um, once I get a bit more perspective, I'm sure I'll share more about that stuff. And so we bought a house. We moved in. We finalized it in March. And then we moved in Friday the 13th of March. And the next day, <laughs> all hell broke loose. And there's a pandemic. Oh, interesting. That has never happened in our time. Did not expect that. Could not have predicted that. But here we are. I'm working at a job that's considered an essential service. I'm still at work. I mean, I'm still working. Um, and we have a house, a much smaller house, um, a much more affordable house. The place that we used to work um, is now the epicenter of Canada uh, as far as this pandemic. The university has been closed for over a month. I don't see it reopening anytime soon. The ministry there was probably one of the first things to shut down because it's a group gathering. Um, ministries and nonprofits have been hit the hardest in this because when people can't make the budget, the first thing they cut is the non-essentials, and they, you know, as much as as people care about about the the causes they're investing in, they also need to put food on the table first and. Um, so, you know, there's that. It's like, wow. Um, so here we are. Here we are in strange times. Um, and yet we feel as though God has really been in this. God has really been in this. Um, in this journey that we've been on for the last six months, especially, where we've just sold our house moved, found a job, done the next thing. It hasn't really made sense, and yet we knew it was the right thing. We bought with our gut. We, even the house, you know, I'm uh, not going to go into that, but everybody thought we should have bought house A. <laughs> a lot of people gave us their opinion. House A is great. No, it just didn't feel right. We bought house B that, like, nobody had predicted us to buy. It's just been perfect in every way. We bought with our gut. We didn't listen to people. We didn't listen to our heads. And see, see what I don't want to say is that we're special in any way. Because I'm not, I don't want to compare myself to other people. What I want to compare myself to is who we were four years ago. And who we were four years ago is people that would have listened to our heads and made decisions based on what would please other people, what we thought would please other people. And based on what made sense in the moment. And um, things we've done have not made sense. And I don't know if they've pleased people or not. Um, people tend to get over it pretty quick when you just do what you're going to do. And they're like, oh, that's what they did. Oh, I wouldn't have done that. Okay. Um, but we've really felt like we've moved with our gut. And um, it's led us to a good place. As much as there can be a good place in a global pandemic... Um, at least it's led us out of a place that would have been absolutely catastrophic for us. Um, and it's been interesting, like in February I had this dream. I've been writing down my dreams as part of my counseling process, as part of my healing journey. And I had this dream where we were in this ship and there had been a bunch of, um, 
there had been a bunch of storms and everybody was seasick and everybody was getting sick of the storms. And then the ship's uh, navigator came in and said, and he had this, this terrible look on his face of doom. And he said, there's a big storm coming. This was in like beginning of February. And he said, it's not seismic activity. It's um, atmospheric, but it's going to be a really big one. And we're going to have to put up with a lot. And then the next thing I remember was swimming and swimming and swimming. And just, you had to keep swimming. It was hard, but you just had to keep swimming. And then a pandemic hits. And then I look back at that dream and I had kind of interpreted it as like, okay, well, like hard times are coming, you know? So is it like, anyways, <laughs> I, this is a weird place to end, end the podcast. I think I'm winding down. Um, did my gut know like coronavirus was kind of in the news? It was kind of one of those things. Oh yeah, that's interesting. But was there something in my gut that was like, no, this is pay attention, pay attention. I'm not going to let you sleep. I'm going to give you a weird dream that's going to stick with you. And I still have that image in my mind of that guy that came in and was like, it's atmospheric pressure. Um, I interpret that as like, it's atmospheric means it's something else. Seismic activity means it's a health issue or it's a marriage issue or something. You know, you can have storms because of what's happening in here, or you can have storms because of what's happening out there. And this is what's happening out there. Anyways, is it a dream from God or was it a dream from my gut? I don't know. But on some level, we knew that instability was coming and it was time to get to our, a place where we were more stable and more secure. And we did. And it's, um, it's just interesting. It's interesting. Maybe that's where I'll leave it. We still don't really know what the future holds. We still don't, I don't really know what I'm doing with my life yet. Um, not going to be a Bible school teacher. Um, don't see myself being a full-time pastor anytime soon. I've got bucket loads of training. Like I'm really, really good at preaching. I'm still tired. Uh, still healing. There's a huge need for podcasts right now. People are just sitting at home. Interesting. Might start podcasting again. I don't know. We'll see what the gut says. We'll see what uh, what feels right. We'll see what my wife, you know, really is excited about and we're excited about as a couple. And uh, And we'll go from there. So that's kind of my update. Other than to say everybody's healthy we're feeling well um, as much as we can feel well during a global pandemic when everybody's cooped up inside but we are used to homeschooling so it's less of a shock for us than for other people and um, God is good the healing journey has really been something it's really been a time when I've seen um, well it's like a phoenix I told some I told one of my therapists that recently I feel like a phoenix where I have crashed and burned so many times in my life, like major shifts, major resets. But every time I've come out better, every time something of me has died that shouldn't have been alive and it's been reborn into something that, that was much better and I couldn't have had it any other way. And I'm feeling like this is the biggest Phoenix transformation of them all. And I'm sincerely excited about what's going to emerge from the ashes of this in myself personally and in our family. And uh, I'm excited for, I'm feeling extremely creative, extremely creative. I've written like three songs, haven't put them on paper yet, but they're in my head. I've like, it's insane how much I'm journaling, it's just insane. And at some point that's going to spill out into other avenues. I don't feel any pressure, but at some point it's like, I'm going to start podcasting or blogging. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm not going to make promises. Um, but I'm feeling really good. And uh, <laughs> and I'm kind of trailing off. So I'm going to end this here because you don't care so much about... Well, maybe you do. Um, you don't want to just hear me ramble on about myself too much. Don't want to overdo the update thing here. Um, I'm looking forward to talking about other subjects. I've got some of my own private ideas about coronavirus that I would love to share with you soon. And certainly lots of to talk about with philosophy or um, psychology. That's become my latest uh, obsession. 
uh, as people have unlocked things in me and helped me find health, I'm like, this is really cool stuff. I want to find out more. Um, and so that's kind of been my my obsession. So I'm hoping to look for, to uh, share more with you about psychology and how to become a more healthy person and how to understand the crazy things that are going on inside of us. Um, and uh, so I I look forward to sharing. And uh, I have a post um, in my journal that I thought I kind of dared myself to write out all the things I've been too scared to say. Not scared, but like. Yeah, well, basically, sure. Let's let's use that. All the things I've been too scared to admit to over the last seven years because I've been on support and I'm working with Baptists and Mennonites and and Pentecostals and Anglicans and, and I've kind of been a middle-of-the-road guy. And if I have private beliefs that are a little bit controversial, I've just kept them to myself. It would be interesting to just blast them all out and just list them all. Like, I don't have any really crazy beliefs, but I have controversial beliefs. We all do. And uh, so I might do a podcast on that. We'll see. Uh, all the all the crazy things I believe. Anyway, so um, I'm looking forward to the future. I'm feeling the healthiest I've ever felt emotionally, physically, psychologically, relationally, um, in my family. I feel like I'm really surrounded by... I've chosen to surround myself with the people that, um, that are doing good things for me. And uh, so anyways, um, I look forward to where this podcast is going or it might go nowhere. I'm not, I'm not putting any pressure on myself and I'm not giving you any promises. I might not do a podcast ever again, but I think it's likely I will. So I don't know, stay, stay tuned if you would like to. This is Josiah Meyer for the No Longer Be Children podcast. I don't have a clue what the future holds. But I'm pretty excited about who I'm going to be in the future. And I'm pretty excited about the God that will be with me in the future. Talk to you later. Bye.